Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of Beyond the Chalkboard. My name is Dr. Gordon Cobb, and I am thrilled to be your host this season. This podcast creates opportunities for KPU faculty to share ideas, inspire innovation, and give real-world examples of successful technology-based teaching strategies. Thanks for tuning in. On today's episode of Beyond the Chalkboard, I have the pleasure of hanging out with Arlie Carruthers, a member of faculty in the School of Business at KPU. Arlie teaches applied communications and is a published author, world champion athlete, and an award-winning academic. Our conversation revolved very much so around the concept of storytelling and what a powerful teaching tool storytelling can be, especially when you incorporate some educational technology and a contemporary approach to teaching. So here we go. My fast-paced and super engaging conversation with Arlie begins now. So I am here, I'm so excited about this interview. I'm here with Arlie Crothers and she, um, well, she's kind of famous and I totally fanboyed uh, this weekend and looked her up online and she's done a lot of really excellent things and she's a celebrated artist and academic. So I'd like to uh, welcome you here. Welcome Arlie. Thanks for having me. So the first thing I wanted to do was um, to give you the 60 second challenge to just tell our listeners who you are in 60 seconds or less, everything that you think would make you interesting and eccentric and fun um, for the people who don't know you so that they will then look you up and buy your book. So 60 seconds, go. Uh, I am a teacher of applied communications. I'm a mom, I'm a novelist, I'm interested in weird labor history facts and Victorian facts, I have a very eccentric cat, um, and I'm really passionate about um, bringing multiple voices into the classroom and helping all of my students see that they are amazing writers. Okay, excellent job, Arlie, with the 60-second challenge. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of this uh, of this interview. And what I want you to do is maybe talk a little bit about the work that you're doing currently with technology and how you integrate technology into your classroom to make learning, I guess, more relevant and more engaging for your students. Well, I think a lot of what I do with technology is first thinking about what technologies are my students using? Uh, what technologies are being used in writing in the workplace? Um, and also, uh, how what assumptions is that technology bringing into my classroom, right? So, mm. for example, I wouldn't use a software like Turnitin because I don't like the assumptions that it's bringing into my classroom that, say, students have to prove that they're not cheating. So I think the first step when I'm using technology is to question what what assumptions, what values am I bringing into the classroom? And then my second step is collaborating with students that um, I often do a lot of work. Um, my current class is working on this gigantic report using Google Docs. And that report is only possible because of Google Docs, uh, both because of the anonymity, because students can try something and you know it doesn't go well, somebody else can edit it. Um, and also because it uh, allows us to write collaboratively together right so I love that um, it allows it to really be our report rather than uh, 75 people sticking pieces you know together um, it allows us to kind of practice things and try things and um, so um, but 
it also, with because it's anonymous, we also have to think really clearly about how are we ensuring that everyone is safe? How are we ensuring that it's the right fit? So, um, and often I find that students are the ones who bring different technologies to my attention. And um, the nice thing about my job is that writing can be so many things that we do have a lot of flexibility in terms of uh, this semester, for example, one of my classes is making a survival guide for international students. And to do that, we're using Unsplash, which is Creative Commons photos. We're using the Noun Project, which is, um, again, an uh, often open source um, repository of different icons. Um, we're using Pressbooks, where we can all publish our work so that it's readily available. Um, but often students will bring different tech pieces of technology and say like, oh, have you ever heard of this? And we've been able to, uh, um, to use it in the classroom. So I find that the way that I use technology really depends on what my students need at, uh, at that particular moment and what we're trying to accomplish together. Well, wow, that's such a great um, way of thinking about creating curricula is, is basing it on the people in your class. I do that in my music classes too, especially the music tech classes, because you get such a range of, of ability. You know, you have people who have already produced an album in a first year music tech class and then people who have never used, uh, you know, recording software before. And my job is to figure out how to build a program around both of those students and everybody on the spectrum in between so that they all feel like they've achieved something and they can express themselves through the assignments. Yeah, and I really think that that idea of designing for difference is, is so important that my teaching background, I got into teaching from teach, coaching wheelchair basketball. And in a wheelchair basketball, especially when I was coaching juniors, you would have everything from a six-year-old able-bodied sibling to an 18-year-old who um, has uh, a, quite a severe disability. And so right from the start, I've been lucky to get the lesson of how to think about all the different abilities that are in my classroom and how everyone can get their um, their needs met. Because I think um, often, especially with writing, there's a lot of students who feel that they're not good writers, who are not comfortable with writing, but have all these other skills that translate so beautifully. So maybe um, I have a lot of students who make music um, and we talk about how, you know, when we're learning punctuation, punctuation is like the breath, right? It's like the the breath of um, of writing. So trying to figure out what areas my students are comfortable in and often they have skills that I, I don't have, right? My music skills are terrible. Um, but how we can use everybody's skills in order to create something cool in the class. Yeah, I always call it um, their superpowers. So one of the first things I do in any of the courses that I teach is um, I get out my whiteboard markers and I pick like the most colorful colors I have and then I just ask everybody what their superpowers are and not, not like the made up fictional ones like you know I can walk through walls but um, there'll always be somebody in the class who will surprise you and say well I'm actually um, I'm a champion beatboxer and then of course like I freak out and instantly demand a freestyle but you know you you get a real sense of who your student body is and where you might be able to go and the the possibilities they're, they're always different and for me it makes teaching the same class over and over fun because I get to do it through a different lens and that is like the students every time. Yeah, and I think it's um, one of the, the cool things about practicing kind of open pedagogy and also like uh, critical digital pedagogy, the way that I practice it is that often at the beginning of the semester, I have no idea where we're going to go. I have an idea, like I have uh, a plan and I have done this project before, but every time 
it goes differently. You know, this semester, for example, just now in our, our Thursday class, um, my students were writing the executive summary to this big report that we've written. And the executive summary is like, you're most persuasive. Here's like the one part that everyone will read. And usually um, it's very traditional, but I brought in a range of sources, one of which was a report um, called Red Women Rising that was um, out of the downtown east side. And it was uh, mm. using storytelling and using pictures. And the students immediately said, yeah, that's what we need for our report, that we can't um, tell this story, like if we just give statistics, it's not going to be persuasive. We need to write a story. So we stopped the whole class. We had everyone gather around. I just said, okay, what happens in the, to start? And a student started with uh, one of his experiences. And I said, okay, what happens next? And everyone together, we wrote a story. Um, I hadn't planned that, but that was the most persuasive thing. That was what our report needed. So I didn't walk into classroom. I had an idea of where we were going, um, but because the the students were able to kind of have some agency it turned into something that I didn't imagine but also the perfect thing for what we were doing and I think you know what's so great about that and it like it seems to me that you're obviously a very capable and confident instructor because you can go into your class in sort of a vulnerable place not having a plan and trust that you will figure it out and I think that comes with time and practice. It's what a, a maybe a new instructor who's just finished their PhD and they're 28 and they haven't done a lot of teaching yet. It's like th they're not ready to do that. But the person who's been teaching for a long time, well, kind of they've, they've seen it and done it all before. And it's exciting for the students to like you, you've, you've written a screenplay with your students and like, that's probably the last thing that they expected would happen in your class. Yeah. And I, I think that some of it is planning. Like it, my hope is that the, um, often, especially we have a lot of students who come from, um, educational systems where, um, there's not a lot, it, it's very sort of formal, um, maybe a lot of focus on memorization, a lot of, of lecturing. Right. And so a lot of what I have to do is make that, um, experimentation feel safe, right? Because if I just come in and be like, okay, guys, we're going to do some cool stuff. That's going to be really going to freak out, um, students who are like, well, tell me the right answer, right? Like I, um, uh, I need to pass this class. If I don't pass this class, I'm going to get kicked out of the university. Yeah. Uh, I'm not here to play around. I, I need to learn these skills so I can. Um, so a lot of it is scaffolding that and, and thinking a lot about, um, you know, I have a plan that I, that I make and I think of a lot about, you know, what skills students need and what progression. Um, but figuring out where to build in that flexibility and where to build in that agency, I think, is the thing that's taken me a lot of time. And I'm sure I'm still, you know, still working on it, that how can we experiment but also how how to uh, empower students to feel confident about that experimentation right because not everyone when we take risks i am you know a white person uh with um who comes from a fairly affluent background uh when i take a risk if i fail you know, the consequences are not the same no. as if I am um, a new international student whose parents have given up a lot for me to be here. Uh, this is a totally new situation for me, a totally new language. Um, you know, the uh, I need to make sure that those risks are um, uh, scaffolded and also that the consequences are uh, minimized. So a lot of what I do in terms of thinking about ungrading comes from that place. And if I want to ask students to take risks, I have to make sure that those risks are going to, um, you know, that it's not going to ruin their, their career, right? There's not going to be consequences for yeah. those risks. 
Can you explain the concept of ungrading? So when I think about ungrading, I'm thinking about we know that, especially when it comes to writing, that grades can be quite demotivating for students, right? If I um, write a paper and I get it back and it's covered in red marks, um, I'm going to think, oh, well, I'm a bad writer. Just going to put that paper in the, in the drawer and, and, and shut down. So I still need to assign a grade. Um, and I don't do full ungrading. There are people who um, do a lot of really interesting things in terms of like um, having students um, assess themselves and give themselves a grade at the end of the semester. Um, but I build in moments where if I am going to um, ask students to try something and take a risk, um, I make a certain component of that grade simply trying something. So for example, uh, one, our final project in this class is that we do this big report. We come up with all this insight. This semester our report's 100 pages that we've written together. And we know that not everyone is going to read that 100 pages. So for their final assignment, students are challenged to find one thing in the report that spoke to them and teach it to someone in a new way. So they might make mm. a video. Um, we, I've had games. I've had uh, choose your own adventures. Um, I've had uh, songs. Um, so they can really do anything. It doesn't even have to be in English. So I had a lot of videos last semester in Punjabi. Um, and so this is not a video making class. It's not a meme making class. It's not a board game making class. So um, it may happen that a student tries to make a video and it doesn't turn out the way that they planned. So most of what they're getting graded on is a memo that they're writing or they're explaining to me the choices that they were making and why they made them. So that if it doesn't turn out, so most of what they're getting graded on is um, their self-reflection and their own understanding of their uh, of what they've they've done well. So it allows it um, thinking a little bit about where can we take the pressure off grades and where can I give students some agency in determining their own grade. Um, for me, has been really positive. So the remix project, there's a bit of ungrading in the sense that um, most of what they're getting graded on is trying something and telling me about that, um, and then. For my report project, I also have another assignment where students conduct a performance evaluation where they t um, tell me uh, nobody gets graded. So we were at this 100-page report. There's not a single grade attached to it. Nobody gets graded on it. It's simply the, the space where we experiment and try things. Mm -hmm. uh, what students get graded on is at the end of the semester, they write a performance evaluation where they tell me, here's what I contributed to the report. Here's some things I learned. Here's your, my advice for you to make this report better and they get graded on that. So it allows students that are maybe not as confident um, in their uh, writing skills to still do a really great job in the class if they're trying things and, and failing. That's so great because I would be the student in your class who would like not resonate with writing because I'm a musician and I think visually. I'm like a visually thinking musician. So the last thing I wanna do is like, you know, font size 12 Arial on a white page. It, it's like suffocating to me to express myself that way. Like I'd be making a board game or I'd be doing a interpretive dance piece to a, you know, a live soundscape or something. It, it's great that you allow your students to use the voice they have and to interpret from their point of view and their worldview and to possibly even use their technology. Yeah, and I think that when we talk about writing in the workplace, those are the skills they need, right? A lot of what I do is let's take your voice and your natural voice that you're comfortable writing in and uh, let's apply it to a lot of different genres. So how would it look um, in terms of uh, 
video? How would it look in a report? Um, and talking about some of the, the, those genres, why those genres exist so that students can code switch among among them, right? But if I go out there trying to take your voice and turn it into corporate speak, I've done my job badly. So, right. um, and you know, in some cases we do need to learn genres that are formal. We need to learn genres that are, um, you know, less creative. Um, we need to learn a, a wide range of genres. But if in my class, we focus a lot on process, not on, on product. And so, um, that allows students to really see that their inherent voice has value. So tell me, cause I can tell that you use like a plethora of apps and technologies in your class. Give me a handful of your favorite ones from maybe the past two years that either you were introduced to by a student or that you've discovered online and incorporated in what, what are your faves? Um, well, actually, funnily enough, one of my favorites now is, is colorful pens and paper, which is a technology in its own right. Um, because often students, um, don't have access to a lot of that technology at home. Um, so I also, I always include when I'm using technology, I always include a in, uh, kind of analog, um, equivalent, uh, for students who don't have that access, but I use Google docs a lot. Um, although I am hoping to go to a more open source platform, one of the challenges is that um, there's a lot of companies that store their uh, data on American servers, which means that we can't have students make um, accounts. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I use some things like, um, especially when I teach online, use um, uh, Flipgrid. Uh, What's Flipgrid? It is um, videos uh, where students can post short videos and you can uh, post videos in response. Um, so you can. Um, pose a question in an online format and rather than have them write out a response, they can create um, a video uh, and then you can respond in a video. So one of I the things it. I'm experimenting with next semester is using uh, video comments for uh, students' essays. So rather than writing out, um, just making a short three minute video of kind of here's what I thought about your, uh, your paper. And then I also use um, Padlet, which is mm. a, um, a kind of a, you can, uh, post images and, and, and short text. Um, Padlet's very popular here in the teaching and learning commons. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Um, and I think students have a, a really good, uh, a good time with it. Um, I was just going to say, what was the, the, the program that where you use video? A Flipgrid. Flipgrid. So imagine the, Im the difference in the impact between red pen on a page and like your instructor's face and their body language. I mean, who wouldn't want a video response to their paper? Yeah. It seems like, you know, teaching to the next degree. Of course you want that. Well, I think it also, um, you know, takes just as much. I spend a lot of time for every batch of papers. Um, I write about uh, 50 single space pages for every batch of papers that I, I grade. So I, um, and sometimes those, those, words aren't read. Um, now hopefully they're read because I have students revision as part of my, my class. But, um, yeah, I think, as, um, being able to, uh, get feedback in a format that feels a lot more manageable, that feels more comfortable. And that also I can kind of give examples. Um, I've also found lately that making, even when I'm teaching in face to face, um, uh, making short videos using Kaltura. We work together to come up with the the structure. So uh, do we want to put all of our 
research into one big Google Doc organized by headings, or do we want to have smaller Google Docs? But by the end, we sometimes have folders within folders, and you yeah. know it can get a little bit unwieldy. And so I um, have started making um, what a student suggested um, that I make short uh, videos explaining the week's homework. And so I've started mm. simply making these little kind of two minute videos of like, okay, here's um, for our report project, everyone has, we do some work in class and then we do some work out of class. So for the out of class work, I can simply create a quick video where I show, um, okay, so today your one task is that you're going to um, add a paragraph that explains your secondary source to um, in, in our report. And so here's how you're going to go about doing it. Um, and students have found that that's pretty valuable um, to uh, um, just to, to, help, to help them, especially if they had to miss class. Because um, I don't want the technology to be a barrier. Like I don't want the organization to be a barrier. Like yeah. what I'm asking them to do is hard and it's the sense of thinking and then the sense of synthesizing what they learned with, with what somebody else learned. Yeah. But I don't want the technology to be hard. So creating those little videos, um, they've... Uh, um, they've had a, they've, they've enjoyed. Um, and it's my goal with the open textbook that I'm working on to, for every chapter have, um, one audio, because one of the things that my, we learned this semester in our research project was that, um, many students are commuting, uh, one to two hours to campus or to their work. Mm. So if I can just record, then they can listen to it on the bus or they can listen to it in their car. Yeah. So the print version, the audio version, and then making a short video, um, so that we can uh, students can find the the version that um, that works best works best for them yeah wow that's that's awesome um, I wanted to just quickly talk a little bit about you know obviously how famous you are and the award that you just received from uh, BC campus which was the award for excellence in open education so tell us about that that was really exciting I um, have sort of stumbled in I got into open education in the sense of thinking about open textbooks and I um, uh, several years ago, I had a student who would come to my office hours, every office hours, to borrow the textbook. And she'd read the textbook and then return it because she couldn't afford it. Oh and God. I thought, and I had sort of intentionally um, I tried to find the cheapest textbook I can, I could. It was not a textbook I was happy with. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I, something's got to change. So I went to... Um, uh, just open source in the sense of like posting links to articles on Moodle. And I was lucky enough to run into Rajiv um, and um, was able to kind of get involved just, and I thought initially from the perspective of just let me create an open textbook that's going to reduce this barrier for my students. Who is Rajiv? Uh, Rajiv Jangiani, who is the uh, um, open education superstar here, uh, not at, just at Kwantlen, but also uh, we're lucky enough to have him at Kwantlen, but um, also, you know, internationally uh, uh, known and is the, uh, I believe his uh, title is now the Vice Provost, Provost of Open, open edu Education. So we're super lucky to have him and he's been a huge influence in what um, I've been doing. But um, so he was able to help me out, um, especially with getting uh, 
this textbook into uh, a different um, format. But I also got involved in open pedagogy, so creating assignments that aren't just um, disposable, right? That I can actually have an impact in the real world. And hmm. um, uh, one of the the projects that I was working on was this big report where every semester we um, all work together to create. Uh, answer this one research question that we come up with as a group and um, I had spoken before about the remix project that we're doing yep. so uh, a group of three students um, created this this game that was um, designed to teach a faculty about how students use textbooks because we quickly realized it's not just about the textbook like if I give you a free textbook that's great but if you're working the graveyard shift and if you are um, you know, commuting three hours each way, and you only have five hours per week to work on your course material, um, that's only solving part of the problem. Um, if you are new to Canada and the, the um, education system you came from doesn't use textbooks and you don't really know why you're being asked to read these things, um, that's only, you know, solves part of the problem. So hmm. um, this game really beautifully, the, the students did an amazing job. Um, uh, was and it's a very frustrating game. Like you can feel when we when we, we played it at the uh, Cascadia Open Education Conference, you could feel people getting really frustrated. Uh, but it really gives people a sense of all the different decisions that students are having to make. You know, decisions in terms of, um, you know, how do I uh, how do I d decide whether to buy a textbook or whether to buy food. Um, if this course has an access code where I have to submit homework through some platform that I have to pay for, if I don't have the money to do that, my grade goes down by 10% just immediately. Um, so really showing um, teachers the impact of their, um, of their decision. So uh, we played this at uh, uh, both the Cascadia Open Education Conference and then also at the Teaching and Learning um, Festival. Um, and it was, yeah, very, the, the students did, a, did an amazing job, but it was a chance for their work to have an audience outside of the classroom um, and to make an impact, which, uh, which was cool. So I found that, yeah, every time that I bring openness into my teaching, um, things have gotten like a million times more interesting. Hmm. Good for you. Yes. Well, good for the students as well, because I feel like they, uh, you know, that was a, a thing where I had this idea of like, you know, yeah, let's, let's create something. Um, and these three students, especially all, all the students did an amazing job, but you know, just really, um, I could not have gotten up in front of a bunch of uh, uh, international experts in open education and show my work when I was 19 years old. Like, yeah, yeah. so they did an awesome job. Hmm. Well, what a great opportunity for them. And how lovely that you got to do that amazing class and then you won an award for it. Yes, I was really, uh, it, yeah, it was, I was very shocked to receive that award because there's so many cool pe people at um, uh, NBC and especially at Kwantlen who are doing such awesome work with open education. So, um, yeah, I was pretty thrilled to, to receive that. Mm -hmm. Big old bullet on the resume. <laughs> All right. So for our next segment, we are going to do our rapid fire questions. Arlie, are you ready to go? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. In three, two, one. One favorite app, uh, my Pocket Casts. Favorite software, uh, probably Google Docs. Favorite piece of hardware, uh, my handy cell phone. Favorite movie, uh, Labyrinth. PC or Mac? Mac. Sweet or savory? Uh, sweet. Okay, if you were in a Disney film, who do you usually like better, the hero or the villain? Uh, the villain. Totally. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? 
ability to stop time so I could take a nap. <laughs> if, <laughs> uh, yes, spoken like a true academic. Um, if you were a superhero, who would it be? Um, let's go with Batman. If you weren't in your current vocation as uh, a super fabulous instructor at KPU, what other career path might you have taken? Um, working in marketing and communications. Name one of your personal heroes. Oh, I have so many. When I was a kid, my biggest hero was the, uh, the journalist Nellie Bly. Who is your favorite university professor? Uh, Lorna Jackson. What do you love most about your job? Uh, students. What do you love most about KPU? Um, also students, but then also uh, the amazing uh, coworkers I get to work with. All right. Well, thus ends our rapid fire question segment for this podcast. Awesome. Okay. So our last segment um, is essentially speaking to instructors who maybe don't use a lot of technology. So what recommendation would you give to others who are looking to start using tech in their classroom? Um, I would say that you know, if you come up from the perspective of I want to use tech, then sometimes you stumble on the wrong tech. So I think the best question to start with is, what do you want to accomplish in the classroom, right? What technology um, could help you um, achieve your goals? And I think that there's a lot of technology that's quite easy to use. So, um, you know, if your goal is collaboration, uh, Google Docs is very intuitive and, and, and very easy to use. But I think sometimes people get into tech thinking it's like kind of like decoration or it's like going to jazz up their class. But um, really thinking about here's what um, what I want to accomplish. Here's the skills I want my, my students to use and, and how can um, how can technology be a, a partner in that and um, how can it not, you know, especially taking before you look at it, use any technology, taking a look at the terms of service to see what is it doing with student data, I think is is also super, super important. But I think, you know, if you're not a tech person, um, thinking, asking students, what tech would you like to use or what tech have you seen in the in in the workplace? What uh, um, and uh, putting them in, in the driver's seat, because I think that often they have a better idea of of um, what technology is out there. Hmm. Have you considered using OneDrive instead of Google Docs? Um, yes, one of my, my goals is to find a, um, uh, a repl uh, thinking, rethinking how I use Google Docs in the class. Um, and so, yeah, thinking about how I can use OneDrive. I'm not sure if OneDrive allows the, the kind of um, synchronous editing that we're doing. I think it does. Um, yeah. So I haven't of, used it yet because I, like you, use um, Google Docs a lot um, and, and just, you know, the whole Google system. But the problem is, is that like you were saying before, the information is stored in the States. Yeah. And so what one of the things that KPU has been doing is uh, some research into software or apps that we can use that use Canadian databases to store information. Mm. And... Uh, so the whole Microsoft suite um, is safe for this purpose. Yeah. And I don't know if you know this, but we get it for free. So all KPU faculty can get the entire Microsoft suite for free. Yeah, no, that's, um, I'm definitely looking at uh, um, 
at OneDrive. I I know I have a couple other colleagues uh, who use it, so I need to I need to do some experimenting to see if it kind of works for our purposes. Because yeah, I think that you know, especially when you're you're busy and you're trying to um, you know make decisions, it's very easy to kind of reach for Big Daddy Google and uh, what Google Suite is, and and sometimes there is. Uh, um, you know, some, um, some difficulties there, you know, like for example, I'm also experimenting with using Google's live transcribe, which, um, provides closed captioning, um, in real time. Mm. So, um, you know, for students who are new English speakers, it kind of helps to have like a translation and it does a great job. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know that that was a thing. Yeah. And so you can, it can just basically you enable the microphone or, um, on your, uh, um, uh, I've done, like done it kind of on my laptop and then you can, it projects on the screen. Um, I did it when I pr- did a presentation at Congress. Um, we, uh, we provided that live closed captioning for people, people who needed it. So um, in some ways, Google has these things that are so intuitive, so easy to use and students are so comfortable with, but yeah, we really need to, to think carefully about what, um, what powers of the, who are, who we're letting into our classroom, even if, you know, it's not a physical person who, who we're uh, yeah. inviting into that space. So the last thing, the final word that I want to ask you is um, a simple question with sometimes a complex answer. And I just wanted to ask you why you think why you think it's important to be a teacher? Um, well, I think it's important because, you know, where education is in this moment where it can, you can kind of go one or two ways, right? Either you can go into um, all we need is to prepare students for this w- one particular exact job. And if we can't make money off of it, it has no business in the classroom. Or we can go in this way of education is about exploring and about uh, empowering students to do their best work and to, you know, find their voice and to question, um, you know, assumptions. And I think it's really important to have people in the classroom who care about students and who are really invested in their success. You know, it's so easy to be um, be cynical, but for me, the best part of the job is getting to work with students and, um, you know, getting to have the privilege, you know, I, I really think that teaching is a privilege that you get yeah, I do too. to um, meet all of these people and you get to help them out in some way. And they get to teach you a lot, you know, that you get to every semester I learn so much from, from my students. So I really think every single semester, I feel like how lucky am I that, that I get to get to do this, um, this important work, you know, we're, we're in this moment where, especially in terms of writing and especially in terms of communication, there's so many people using those skills for bad and mm-hmm. we get to help students use them for good and, um, you know, for, for social justice and for change. Totally. So yes. Social justice and change. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's funny that you, um, you touched on a point there about um, how you know you, you're invested in your students. One of the first things that I do in my first class, in any class that I teach, is I always make it really clear to my students that I'm invested in their success. That my job is not to stand here and, and prove to you how much more I know about you, because there's a good chance that you probably know just as much as I do, because you grew up with the internet. So, you know, I always try to explain that you are innocent until proven guilty or you are an A plus until you're proven otherwise. And so I start by 
making my students understand that I believe in them and that I'm on their side. And you'd be surprised how fast that can turn around the culture in a class and just like bring people together. And when your students feel like you like them, they like you back and then they, they, they just, they want to work. Yeah. They I want to do the job. I think it's very cool, you know, seeing, uh, helping people find that like intrinsic, intrinsic motivation. But I totally, one of the first things I, I do in this semester is we build the culture of our classroom. So we come up with what, what do we want to have happen? What rules do we want? How do we want to treat each other? And this semester, um, one uh, students said that they wanted clips from the office. And that seems like a really small, like throwaway thing. Um, but it was something that, that was important to them. In I think it kind of started off as a joke, but just the fact that, that I was willing to go and find clips from the office that illustrated the points. Um, first of all, a lot of those clips were really useful in showing a lot of the points that we're discussing, right? Because we're talking about workplace communication. Oh, the, the television the show. The television the show, office. the office. Yeah. So we, um, yeah. So every, uh, there's a few where I haven't been able to find one. Um, but for nearly every class, we've, started off with a clip from the office and let's talk about how does this relate to the things that we're, um, we're working on. So that wasn't something I set out to do, but that was something that a student said, uh, you know, in this, uh, throughout there is like, uh, you know, this is something I want. And a lot of other students said, yeah, me too. Um, and it's a small moment that this, even this one particular student looks forward to, um, in the class, but it doesn't, you know, I think caring about students and giving them power doesn't have to be huge things. Another thing I've been experimenting with this semester is bringing a snack. You know, we have a lot of students in this campus who are food insecure yeah. and it doesn't cost me all that much. You know, I'm obviously in a, uh, I have a regularized position. I'm in a financial position to do that. Um, but just going to the local save on and buying snacks and especially a lot of snacks that are from cultures that like, I'm not familiar with those snacks. Like, um, I get to eat a lot of delicious cookies and, uh, you know, students have the, it's amazing how much the culture of the class changes when there's, you know, some, some cookies or some apples or, um, just a little snack that they can, um, that they can munch on. It's, uh, yeah. um, I was really, uh, it seemed like a very small thing, but it, it definitely, you know, there's being able to show your students that you actually are invested in their success and that you actually want them to do well. You know, that you, like, I would be thrilled if I could give everyone in my class an A plus, you know, and yeah. um, it's, I also often tell students that I want to see their best work. And if there's something standing in the way of that, then let's figure out a solution. So sometimes students feel nervous about asking for extensions or you know, I've, I've designed alternate assignments for students. Um, yeah, me too. But my goal is to get you to do your best work. And so let's figure out the things that are standing in the way of that. And sometimes the things that are standing in the way of that are out of my control. But sometimes um, I have, you know, it's just a matter of changing a few things around. We can, um, we can do that. I would much rather see work that students are excited about and proud of doing. Yeah, well, well said. Well, Arlie, I want to thank you for being on the Beyond the Chalkboard podcast in season two with me. I really enjoyed my conversation with you, and I think I want to come and play in your sandbox. Absolutely. You are welcome anytime. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. Beyond the Chalkboard was created by Caitlin Kozlowski. 
Season 2 of Beyond the Chalkboard is produced, written, recorded, hosted, and edited by me, Dr. Gordon Cobb. For more information about educational technology at KPU, please visit the Teaching and Learning Commons website or follow us on our blog site, Friday Morning Coffee, our Twitter site, or our newsletter series, all of which can be found on our website at kpu.ca forward slash teaching dash and dash learning. Thanks for joining us.